Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to episode 7 of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. It wasn't a good week at all for Nuno Espirito Santo and Tottenham following a 3-0 defeat at Crystal Palace on Saturday, following three goals in the final 15 minutes of the game. As ever, I'm joined by Alistair Gold, who was at Selhurst Park on Saturday. Ali, apart from the uh, 3-0 defeat, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for asking. <laughs> um, I have officially submitted a complaint to our HR department, though, because I don't understand why when I go off for like a week off or something, these incredibly interesting, good, positive things happen often that you get to write about. Whereas when you go off for a week, I get to have South Americans stuck in Croatia, injuries galore, and one of the worst matches I've ever had the misfortune to watch. And do you know what? At Selhurst Park, I, did, I put it on Instagram, people might have seen, and you'll know this. The view at Selhurst Park for the press, we can't complain too much because clearly it's free for us, but you can often just get a big pillar stuck in front of you, um, which is exactly what I had. And it's got to be the one time I went to Selhurst Park and I didn't mind having a big post sat right in the way of my view because it was such a bad match. It was horrendous. So thanks for that. Thanks for having a week off. Not that I'm bitter at all. No, don't sound like it. Well, <laughs> I'm back anyway. I mean, today is technically my day off, so I'm back tomorrow. So, what a hero! I th- yeah, I, th- I think the good times will be returning to N17. Now I'm back, so that'll be <laughs> three, three points on Thursday against Wren, and then another three on Thursday on Sunday against Chelsea. Yes, anyway, let's the right day. Uh, don't turn up to the stadium on the wrong day. True. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Let's talk about the 3 0 defeat on Saturday. Oh, uh, we have to. Can we just can we just talk about Simon? Let's talk about movies. Let's, let's, <laughs> I've also, by the way, I've decided I'm going to wear a movie related t shirt on every single podcast we record. Um, and for those who aren't getting to see this in the little videos we put out, it's a, it's a Batman related one today. I actually had a Star Wars one related on, I think, last week. You didn't realize. And if anyone's not aware, this is because Robert Guest just watches about a movie a year and I think this year's one was Space Jam A New Legacy we're very excited to find out what 2022 brings for you Um, so yes I'm going to keep the movie trend going but yes we can talk about Palace if you want to talk about Palace instead yeah I think it's best to uh, we'll reflect on it Uh, (laughs) go on then Uh, what, what did you make of it it was just a horror show it was an absolute horror show and the problem is, it was it just came at the worst possible time for Nuno in terms of, you know, it just shows you what difference, say, 90 minutes makes. You know, before that match started, Spurs were top of the table. He was manager of the month. <laughs> Everything was all rosy, apart from, obviously, the nightmare of essentially losing six players ahead of the game. And then 90 minutes later, he's Mourinho 2.0, People saying Nuno out and they want it. And it's just, I know that's how football works. And it just, the timing was so bad for him. As of all the times to go with some very odd tactics, to go with a strange lineup and go with quite a negative outlook when going to a team who, with no disrespect to them, because they showed what they could do in the game, or certainly late in the game, um, you don't, as Tottenham Hotspur, having finished, you know, top four for four years in a row, then sixth, then seventh. You don't go to Crystal Palace with three central defensive midfielders. You just don't. 
And I think coming now before, essentially, well, yeah, the next two Premier League games are Chelsea and Arsenal. So if he then, if Spurs then are poor against those two teams, that entire like buzz around the first three matches has not only gone, but I'd go as far to say you'd probably have fans even more so calling for his head, which just shows how mad football is. Three games and he's the, the best in the business. Three games and he's the worst. Um, and it's the old football cliche, isn't it? You're never as good as people think you are and you're never as bad as people think you are. Um, and, you know, I think everyone who didn't want him in the first place is now saying, that's why I didn't want him. And they're looking back at the wins and saying, oh, but, you know, they were tight 1-0 wins and didn't really, wasn't as impressive as maybe as we thought. And they start kind of looking back. I just... I just kind of felt he shot himself in the foot at the weekend. It was just the worst time to do it. It really was. The team he put out, I think it was pretty much what I expected, really. I, I didn't think Skip was going to play, given he uh, came off injured in the under-21s game. It looked like a bit of a bad injury in that he would miss out. So I expected the midfield three of Hybier, Ali and uh, Delhi, And then you know, maybe give Brian uh, Hill a start. Yeah. I mean, Tangi and Dembele, for me, shouldn't have started anyway. I mean, he's not played since end of April, start of May. So he's, he's, he's not much fit. And there's a big difference between fit and being match fit. There's a massive difference. So I think he's one of these players who, yeah, fair enough, have him on the bench, bring him on when you need it. But Brian Hill... Given there's no Stephen Bergwijn, no Son, surely that was the game to start him. I mean, yeah, you could maybe understand it with Nuno not picking him if you were playing Chelsea away, Man City away, Manchester United, Liverpool away. But it's Crystal Palace away. And I don't think Palace had won, had they, before coming into the Spurs game. So, no, I think it was just a draw, wasn't it, with West Ham? Yeah, draw yeah. at West Ham. So, I mean, for me, it seemed like the perfect game to just give him a start. It's, with that midfield three he had, there's not so much attacking intent there. So I, w- I would have started him. I think all the fans wanted a more attacking lineup, and in the end, it uh, backfired. I mean, what did you make of his team selection? Oh, you know, it's just, yeah, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I, I mean, look, what we've got to say in his kind of defence which is ironic because it was quite a defensive team. But, um, you know, to go into that game without Son, Bergvine, Sanchez, Romero, Lo Celso, and, you know, we can chuck in Ryan Session as well, even though he wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have started or been on the bench. Um, but to go in without six players, I mean, you'd imagine Son, Bergvine, Sanchez would have all started. Romero, by this point, without the international window, may have been starting matches as well. Lo Celso could have even started. Um, yesterday it's like I would definitely say I think a lot of people maybe have gone a little bit too far in saying oh that's why the transfer window was rubbish I don't believe that I think that is a lot of key players out of your team and I think any club would struggle with that I'd agree and we'll come to it a little bit later where I feel the lack of a backup striker that was the one I definitely would go down that route I think that came into play but we'll have a little chat about Harry Kane in a bit um, I just, yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. I think I kind of understood Tongi not being in there. 
Um, let, you know, let's make no bones about it. Nuno is, has not been best impressed with Tongi <laughs> since he's come in. He will not have seen the best of Tongi on Nibele. He will have seen what we know is not the best side at all. It's the wanting to get away side and all that sort of stuff. So he will not have seen a player that he probably can trust right now. So I've got no issue really with him not starting, although clearly I, he would have made a difference. But I understand the thinking behind it. I probably don't understand the thinking of not bringing him on at any point during the game. That I feel a bit weird. Like you, I think Brian Hill would have started, you know, for me. I think he'd... Um, you know, gone away with Spain. He'd captain Spain under twenty ones. Um, I think he set up the goal for them in Lithuania against Lithuania as well. I think the match was right for him to come into, and I think going there with this logic of we're going to win the midfield battle is all well and good. And I think there was an understanding from what I could get of it was going to free up the fullbacks. It was going to make it a little bit less pressure on say Emerson on his debut because. Um, Winks and Hoybier could come across and cover uh, the wing, uh, the fullback slots, but it didn't work like that. It just none of it worked. It was just a shambles, quite frankly. And they just got every time they got into the Palace half, they didn't know what to do. Which is why we've got this bizarre stat of it's the the last time Spurs only had two shots at goal in a Premier League game it was two thousand and five against Blackburn Rovers. I mean that is. ridiculous. Ridiculous. That really is ridiculous. And I cannot see how Hill would not have come in that team and at least given them some forward thrust. You know, it was, it was just appalling. It really was. I tried tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, I can understand from a, a team point of view. Um, I mean, I said this, I think I said this maybe in the piece I wrote after the game, that I get it that Harry Winks, you know, uh, he... You know, there was interest in people wanted to take him away from Spurs in the summer. He didn't want to go. So I can understand maybe as a manager, you'd rather reward that desire to stay at Spurs than give it to someone like Tongi who wanted to leave. I get that. But that doesn't, for me, excuse not playing Kill. And also, just Harry Winks didn't really make an impact. He didn't come in and do anything. And, and I just feel that you know, I know he's got his haters at the moment, but I think with performances like that, especially, it's not doing himself any favours. He and Hoybier, Skip was the one sitting mostly. He and Hoybier had to become box-to-box midfielders. They had to contribute going forward, and neither of them did at all. It was, oh, it was shocking. I'm still, I'm still, you know, even as journalists, you know, we're meant to kind of be as objective as possible. Of course we are, that's our job, but I'm still kind of quite angry about it. Um, I don't know if it's the fan side or more the side of just things were going in the right direction. And it just felt, like I say, shooting himself in the foot, Nuno, just putting out this really negative lineup. And it, you know, I asked him afterwards, I was like, were you worried about the lack of creativity? He said, oh, yeah, it's a big concern. And you think, don't play a team without the creativity then. (laughs) It made no real sense. And I think he'll get even more of a grilling on that on Wednesday in, in France when we have the presser before the match. Yeah, uh, I mean, one of the positives you mentioned, I think, in your play ratings and probably your talking point after was the defence, really, even though there wasn't much attacking Which sounds play weird from Spurs. in a 3 yeah. defeat, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, was, was the scoreline reflect the performance? I mean, I wasn't there. I've not seen it other than uh, a few minutes of highlights. I mean, 3-0 looks a comprehensive win but when it's three goals in the final 15 minutes that tells a different story 
Yeah, I mean, 3-0 is what Tottenham deserved on the day. I, I, I think they did. I think they absolutely did. They, they didn't have any or show any intent to win the game. So I think that was fair. I think it was probably a harsh scoreline on certainly the defensive aspect of the defence. And what I mean by that is um, I felt the fullbacks both on the whole defended well, maybe Regulon slightly more than Emerson. Um, but going forward, they were utter, they were just garbage, quite frankly. Neither of them, it really relied on both of them getting forward and pinning back the likes of Zaha, and they just didn't. But defensive-wise, they, they did some, I mean, Regulon especially had two goal line clearances. He did one block in front of goal and one header off his own goal line, which were both superb. But for me, the two who didn't really deserve it, and this is ironic, bearing in mind we know what happened to one of them, Jaffet Tanganga was superb. Honestly, he was so good. He made so many interceptions, so many blocks, so many big tackles. And then just his brain switched off. And what essentially it was, was he was just so pumped up and hyped up by, I'm sure you've seen it, the, the incident with Zaha, you know, Lucas Moura was injured down the pitch. Um, kind of Spurs post did that classic, not playing to the whistle, and some of them kind of essentially just stopping and assuming there'll be a foul. Palace broke up the pitch. Zaha got the ball down the left. And Tanganga did, which one of those things that the opposition fans will absolutely, as in the, the Palace fans, will hate with a passion. But for Spurs and their fans, and God, Mourinho would have adored it back in the day. He just wiped him out, absolutely wiped out. It was like a clothesline wrestling move. It was, you know, it wasn't very pretty, but it was exactly what it was. It wasn't enough for a red. It was just a yellow card, take one for the team thing. Um, so he did that. And what I think, absolutely, in, in most cases, the game would just go on. You'd have fans screaming their annoyance. You'd have the player having a groan and saying, oh, it should be a red card when we know it isn't. But it was Wilfred Zaha, who, like your good friend Richarlison, likes a good whinge and likes to feel utter outrage that his run, his ability has been taken from him to score. And he, I'll tell you what, if Tanganga hadn't actually gone in there with a tiny bit of maturity in trying to bear hug Zaha and pin his arms down, I think Zaha would have been off. Zaha was swinging away. There's a photo I use where he's like gripping Tanganga's throat at one point. And I think, weirdly, had Tanganga just let him go for it, he'd have been off. And you wouldn't have had the issue. Spurs would have gone on to win the game. Um, But as it was, he pinned his arms down. Tanganga himself got really angry at this guy that was trying to attack him. Uh, I think Zaha, there was a moment where Zaha looked at him and realised, whoa, okay, I think I've beaten I may not continue to try to hit him um, or try and do whatever he was trying to do. Um, but the problem was Tange was so hyped up, so pumped up, that it was only like a couple of minutes later, he, attempt, he, did, he actually made a really good interception, which unfortunately is now forgotten, but he made a great recept, uh, interception, tried to stride out with the ball, hit a pass to Winks, bounced off uh, Gallagher, and then he went for the loose ball and he was like, no, 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 oh, you've done it anyway. And he slams into IU and it was it was a yellow card. I saw some people trying to dispute whether it was a second. It was. Both were yellow cards. There shouldn't be any complaints. But it just, it's just such a shame. It ruined what was a really good performance. And then next to him, Joe Roden, I felt for a guy coming on after 12 minutes, not expecting to come on, 
Um, if haven't played any competitive minutes, I think it's something like 11 weeks, almost three months or so since he's played competitively. And even in the friendly, I think he maybe got a few minutes in friendlies. He didn't even get that much. And maybe one of the friendlies, was it Arsenal, Chelsea, one of them? I think he just got a few minutes. Come on, uh, Arsenal at home. He was one, yeah. one of the two because obviously he was so. Euros, wasn't he? Yes, so. exactly. So for him to come in, I felt he was really, I've seen him getting some flack on social media. I'm quite surprised at that because I think to come in and did what he did in the circumstances, he was good. I think just as the game went on late on, the, the defence lost its shape after the red card, especially the penalty. The penalty just kind of rocked them all. Um, and I thought Roden, obviously, he was then in a defence where he's trying to cover gaps and, and it makes you look like you're at fault sometimes or perhaps you're not. Um, but yeah, it's so weird to kind of praise defence after a 3-0 defeat, but hopefully people understand what I mean. Yeah, just going back to Tanganga's red card, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Zahar at all. It's For oh. me, it's what he... I mean, every game, you just see him like face-to-face with an opponent. He'll have his hands all over someone or whatever because he doesn't like uh, being tackled, really, does he? And, you know, he he, he's he's going to get fouled a lot because he's a very skillful must, player. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine he's frustrated by that. He must get yeah. hacked down so much. But, I mean, this was one of them where you can understand why he's got straight up and squared up to him because, I mean, there's no intention really to play the ball, was it? It was just a cynical foul. And I There think, isn't, but I still... Yeah. I, don't, I, I maybe wouldn't go as far as that. I wouldn't say I understand why he squared up and... Because he wasn't even squaring up. He was swinging his arms yeah. around. He was doing this weird stuff. I get being completely frustrated and angry, but I don't get then trying to... I don't know. It's almost like provoke Tanganga, which... Ultimately, I guess it was. Yeah. And then in terms of the second yellow, like you said, it, it was a yellow. I know some people have said it wasn't, but it wasn't. I think the five minutes after your first yellow card are so important just to try see it out. The same as when you go a goal up, you don't want to do anything stupid at all because so many times you see teams just lose focus straight after scoring and concede straight away. So I think those five minutes straight after a booking, straight after uh, conceding such important. We just so uh, hyped up and the fact that he was stretching for the ball uh, to try win it off IU, you know, <laughs> if he fouls him, he's definitely going to be shown uh, a second yellow. So, yeah, unfortunate for him. So I think that's a one-game ban now. What I'll mean, he's absent on Sunday against Chelsea after such a good start to the season for uh, Tanganga. But it's just one of those things, I suppose. Uh, so Nuno will have some decisions to make in defence now against Chelsea oh, wow. uh, at the weekend. So Eric Dyer, anyway, he went off injured. Yeah. What's the latest with Dyer? Well, kind of when he went down, you could see immediately. I mean, the whole incident was typical Tottenham farce. It was Lloris. I don't know whether to put the blame on Lloris for overthrowing the ball to uh, to Dyer's feet and it going past him, or Dyer maybe not being switched on. It's maybe somewhere in the middle. Um, but yeah, he overextended and got whacked. I can't remember which player it was, whether it was Benteke or are you? Um, but one, yeah, essentially one of the players came there, they collided. Um, he barely kind of he was limping around after we could tell straight off he wasn't going to be able to continue and then watching him actually go off with a physio kind of with his arm around the physio it was it was painful to watch he was you know he could barely shuffle along the sideline um, I have presumed it was something like a knee related thing 
from what I understand right now, it, it's a really, really bad dead leg, um, which is probably good news in the grand scheme of things. In terms of hopefully that's nothing too serious and doesn't go, it doesn't keep him out for long. I, I understand. I think he's still very much a doubt for Chelsea. It's like a really bad dead leg. Like you know, one of you know, we've all had them before. Obviously, we never had them to that kind of degree. But yeah, apparently it's one that's, that's bad enough that Chelsea would be a push at the moment. You never know. You never know. It might be a miracle recovery in the days ahead. If you, you know, what they do, they do all these. Um, you know, when you see them putting on these like cryogenic things around their legs, don't they? It's like kind of ices up their legs or keeps it some temperature. So you never know. But current information I'm getting is yes, it's a. Uh, Awful, a really, really bad dad, uh, dad leg. <laughs> it's gonna have a dad leg, a dead leg. Um, that means he's he's unlikely for uh, for Chelsea. But you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it towards the end about Chelsea. But yeah, defensive wise, he's gonna suddenly has options again. But is it still risky? You know, I'm sure we'll we'll come on to that at the end of this anyway. We'll talk about what's to come. Yeah, going back to the attack. Then obviously we've mentioned that there was just. Two shots. Well, sorry, there, there was an attack, was there? <laughs> well, two shots. Two shots. Uh, and then compared to Crystal Palace's 18, I believe. So yeah. that just shows you the difference between the sides on the day. Should Tottenham be expecting a bit more from Harry Kane in a game like that? You know, he can score the goals. He was Premier League top scorer last season. He was playmaker of the year as well with all those assists he got. Should Kane be doing more or does he need more attacking players around him? I think I think we have to give him an element of, of course, the service was rubbish. Utterly rubbish. I mean, Lucas was bright in moment. Lucas do, did what Lucas does, which is he goes on some really exciting runs. He's very direct and you can definitely see he's trying to make something happen. So he's probably one of the, the few players past the defence that probably gets away without too much flack. And, and I think that's fair. Um, you, you know, you could argue over the Zen product, at, you know, at the end of it all, but ultimately he was trying to make stuff happen. Delhi was very much, he was almost playing the same role he has been rather than the more attacking role they needed him to. So he ended up almost like you had four defensive midfielders or four central midfielders, which was so unnecessary. He just did very, very little in the attacking half, um, opposition half. But yeah, I'd say Kane disappointed me most, I think, out of anyone on the pitch because I don't probably think it's too harsh to say, but I think if you'd had a cardboard cutout of Harry Kane up there, I don't think you'd have noticed much difference to what happened. He, Yes, he didn't get the ball too much, but what we've seen, and I think last season just showed us kind of, maybe it raised our expectations and the standards for him, but he can create. He has become Tottenham's Kane and Eriksen in one, really. You know, if if he's at the top of the playmaker charts for the Premier League last year, that's a man who sets up goals and can make things happen in a slightly deeper position. And he just did nothing with the ball. It was so disappointing. He um he looked almost I don't want to say I don't want to say he didn't care because that's that's too much. But he didn't look like he had much of the drive on Sunday. He didn't look like he was just firing on all cylinders. He didn't look sharp. I suppose you could give him the fact that, you know, it's quite a quick turnaround. Wednesday night for England in Poland. Um, and then, you know, Saturday lunchtime is already playing a London derby in the Premier League. You could maybe give him that. 
But I just feel with Harry Kane, he wants to be seen as this world-class, top-level talent. I don't think there's any doubting that as a finisher, he is up there. As a number nine, he is certainly up there among the best. You know, him and Lewandowski, you could probably say, are the two number nines in the world, as it were. But I think with Kane, he's got the ability, and we've seen it, to be more than that. He can, he can, he, you know, some of the stuff he does in his creative, uh, creative work is like is up there with some of the best, like De Bruyne's. Some of the things he does are the way he spreads the ball, the clever passes over the top or through. Um, and I just feel that, especially as the team's vice captain, it's just been one of my real bugbears with Harry Kane. It's just feel when the team needs him sometimes, he doesn't step up and grab the game by the scruff of the neck. He does sometimes, not to say that always happens, sometimes he does. We've seen games where Spurs have been looking for inspiration, he does come up with it. But I just feel there's too many times when they're kind of stuck in the mire and he doesn't pull them out. And I think a player of his incredible quality should be able to do that. Um, some might question, you know, is it because I've saw social media, some people say, oh, it's because he wanted to get away and he didn't get his move and things like that. But I think he's more professional than that. I'd like to think so. I think it was just, just wasn't on it. Um, and, you know, this just goes for Nuno, it goes for team selection, it goes for the players. But if they do what they did against Palace, against Chelsea in front of 60,000 Tottenham fans, it's going to be carnage. It's going to be an absolute toxic horror show. The fans are going to turn on them. Um, they need to give everything. And that... That does it. Begins with Nuno and his team, but also players like Harry Kane absolutely have to step up because Harry Kane, you know, against as Palace didn't offer as much as they threatened with, um, you know, Zaha. It's a little bit like the Triore situation. It's a bit like they threatened, but ultimately, Lorries weirdly didn't have that many saves to make. He wasn't really threatened that much. You could say that's because he had. 7,000 defensive players standing in front of him. But, you know, Palace was still there to be had. And I just feel Spurs just missed such a trick. Whether it's Nuno, whether it's Kane, whether it's the other players. Yeah, you can tell. I'm still so disappointed with it. I really am. It's so poor. I think it shows the importance of Son to the team as well. Because, you know, yeah. without him, you know, there's just not as much attacking. Well, here's a question for you. Then. I got a question for you. I saw this on social media and I thought it was a really interesting one. Does Kane need Son more than Son needs Kane? Possibly, yeah. Uh, I think it's a good question, isn't it? I think it, I saw it, that and I thought, you it's know, it's a very what? good question. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen it in the past when Kane has been injured, Son is the one to step up we saw that in the run to the Champions League final with a number of big goals and then it was when uh, Kane did his hamstring at Southampton on New Year's Day in 2020 Son was the one who stepped up again he, he might not have played well in that period but big big players you know come to the front of games don't they and you know exactly. yeah, taken by the scruff of the neck and scored important goals even if they're not playing well so yeah, you could say that, but hopefully Son, Bergwijn, Romero, Sanchez could be back on Sunday against Chelsea. And that team looks maybe, a, lot, a lot. Maybe yeah. I don't know about Son will be a bit tight, I think, but the rest, I think so. Yeah, but if they do, then that team's going to look a lot, lot better on paper, and then that will hopefully see a, a much better performance. What is needed, but we're chucking the Kane stat, by the way. 
Do you want to say it or shall I? You you say it. I can't so find that, it. So that match against Palace was the first time in Harry Kane's career. I'm not sure it's Premier League or career. I think it is actually career. That he, in a game, he has not touched the ball in the opposition box or had a shot at all in a match he's played 90 minutes in. That is ridiculous. That, for me, not only sums up the service, but also, sadly, like I said, I think sums up Harry Kane because even on his worst games, Harry Kane will grab the ball somewhere in the opposition half and just have a shot just to get a sight at goal. You know, we saw what he did against Poland with a lovely goal. And he just to not even attempt that... I think it just said it all. Yeah, Kane's one of these who, as soon as he gets the ball in and around the box, he's literally shoot on sight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that just shows you Probably how bad it was. Defoe used to do the same. It's almost it's catching the keeper unawares, having that early shot. And to not even try that, I don't get it. I really don't get it. What have you, um, I know you've only seen kind of bits of it. What did you make of Emerson on his debut? What you saw? To be honest, I've only seen literally like five minute highlights or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, and I mean, you can you can do highlights uh, whatever way you want, can't you? To make one, what I saw on the highlights was literally just all Crystal Palace, and they well, yeah. Tottenham only had two shots on target. Oh, sorry, two shots in the whole game. I mean, mm. yeah, that's just not good. No, I didn't really see much of Emerson off the highlights. I, I expected him to come into the team, especially with Joe Roden not playing for Wales in midweek. I think it was against Estonia. So you could yeah, understand moving Tanganga across and starting Emerson. But did he defend well against Sahara? I mean, that's a tricky uh, customer to come up against in your first Premier League yeah. game. Yeah, it's probably not the debut you definitely, definitely <laughs> wanted. Um it's funny, this, isn't it? They've had Tanganga had Grealish and Sterling in his like opening day. Then he had Traore. Um, um, Ismail Saar was no uh, uh, slouch for a uh, Regulon either in the Watford game. And then um, Emerson had um, Zaha. You know, they've had some tricky, kind of pacey wingers or tricky wingers in their first few games. He, I think, I'm going to be fair to him. I think. As debuts go and in the circumstances, I don't think he was horrific. I wouldn't say it was a bad, bad debut. I think most fullbacks are going to struggle against Zaha. He is very much, especially at Selhurst Park, you know, it's his stomping ground. He knows what he's doing. Um, and early on, he started really brightly. I think a lot of Spurs fans were like, hello, kind of when he started. He was like, he was doing some good stuff, defending well. And he was kind of getting up the pitch. But I don't know if I said this on when we did the podcast, speaking about the transfer window. I think I did. I think I said what I'd been told about him was that physically, um, like he's of a very high level, very uh, very willing, uh, big engine on him, gets up and down the pitch, never stops working, uh, probably slightly more uh, better at the defensive stuff than the attacking stuff, despite what kind of even Nuno said he was an offensive right back. Um, not that he just swears at him all day or something like that but um, yeah and I was told that his technique was the element that he still needs to continue to work on he's only 22 he's very raw and I think that's probably what we saw on Sunday uh, sorry Saturday I think for a 
I don't think anyone expected. I think there was one point Matt Doherty was about to come on. I don't think Spurs or Nuno even expected him to last the 90, but he did. Fitness-wise, he was fine. Um, Attacking-wise, I'd say was very disappointing, like Regulon. Um, He didn't really do anything with the ball when he got over the, uh, the halfway line. Yeah, wasn't the worst. I'm trying to think what I gave him in my player ratings. To be honest, my player ratings was just such a... It was like, you could have probably added them up and made about 11. Um, they, weren't the, they weren't the highest. Um, yeah, it was okay. I don't think we can be overboard. I don't think it was the best game to judge him on. Um, but the problem for him now is unless... But I'd expect Doherty to come in for the European games. He's probably then going to have to play again against Chelsea, which is going to be another nightmare test for him so early on. Because I think, originally, I think Tanganga probably would have started a right back against Chelsea. Personally, I think Sanchez and Romero would have come in into the back line and then I think Tanganga goes out right. Um, Whereas I think now, with Tanganga being ruled out, I think Emerson has to play again and... Oh, poor guy. You know, just hope it doesn't knock his confidence because Chelsea are, for me, I think they're probably going to be the title winners. Right. Yeah. Chelsea have been very good so far. They've been very impressive, especially in that game away at Liverpool when they went down to 10 men. And that was probably one of those where you're thinking Liverpool are going to get it in the second half. But they are looking good, especially with Lukaku coming in. But... We'll talk more about Chelsea shortly. We'll uh, we'll talk about Wren now. We'll we'll move away from the Crystal Palace game. So I'm pretty Yay. sure <laughs> everyone everyone's probably had enough. To be fair, so yes, Thursday the road to Tirana starts on in the <laughs> Europa Conference Tirana. League. Every time you say that, it cracks me up. Every time it's like it's a little bit different from the road to Madrid we had a couple of years ago. <laughs> Road to Tirana. Brilliant. Conference League is in May. It's in Tirana in Albania. And I think it'll be played in the stadium that holds about 21,500. So. Can you stop exciting everyone? Okay. You're building this up. All we need yeah, is the yeah, Champions yeah. League music behind you and you just were there. <laughs> to be honest, I've no idea what this Conference League music is going to be like. Have you heard it at the Passos games? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I'd. Um... I don't know what it would be. Probably some some something ropey, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, you'll find out on Thursday anyway, because you're very going excited. To that's all. I'm, that's all I'm trying to go to France for. Quite frankly, is just to hear what music they play. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be uh, a tough game. Ren, you know, did well uh, in, in France last season. They've not started off so well. This season, I think it's one win from the first five games. They've lost Camavinga, who's gone to yeah. Real Madrid. They I spent the most money, didn't they, in Ligue 1, I think, in the summer transfer window. Obviously, PSG, we know who they brought in, but they were free transfers, weren't they, the bulk of them? Because I think yeah. whereas um, Ren was spending the Camavinga money. Yeah, uh, I think they've got some good players. There's that Jeremy Doku, who was played for Belgium in the Euros. He's a good young player, so Spurs will have to watch out for him. I mean, in terms of the Tottenham team, I mean, there's still going to be players missing. Could it be similar, really, to the team against Crystal Palace with a handful of changes? Um, I, I think he'll change it up a fair bit. I think there's some areas you probably can't. 
Like central defence, you'd imagine it will be Tanganga and Roden again, purely because who else? <laughs> it's like, you know, this was such a shame as well, is that we'll remember Selhouse Park and that game for just being an absolute mess, whereas the academy from the club will look at that game and see four um, academy players on the pitch. Uh, was it Kane, Tanganga, Wings, Wings. and Skip? Um, and then on the bench, you had Dylan Markenday, who utterly deserves it as well, um, Dane Scarlett, and Toby Amol. So actually, the club, it should have been like a really proud day for the club to have seven players that come through the ranks all in a Premier League squad, which is, you know, for a team trying to fight at, you know, in the upper reaches of the table, is pretty impressive. You don't see that at a lot of the big boy clubs, as it were. I mean, some people might argue, that's because they did rubbish in the transfer window. But I personally like that. I like to see um, the young players brought through. It's kind of, for me, the point of why you have an academy. Um, and I do wonder whether now against Wren, some of those players get their chance. I wonder whether a Dylan Markenday is given the, the chance to come in. It's like, you know, you'd think maybe someone like Jack Clark would play, but then for Jack Clark not to be on the bench and Dylan Markenday to be on it, does that suggest that Markenday is now ahead of him in the pecking order? I'd say in terms of what he's producing for the development squad, probably deserves to be, quite frankly. So, I mean, let's be honest. Tongi, Ondembele um, and Brian Hill have to come in. They have to They have to give Tongi minutes. He desperately needs them so that they can start playing him properly. Um, so potentially, this is just kind of spitballing off the top of my head, could you have a starting 11 of Galini in goal, Doherty, Tanganga, Roden, probably Davies. I don't think Sessegnon's going to be fit. Um, then probably Wink starts again um, with Ondombele. Ooh, then you're wondering whether you go 4-3-3 or not. Um, maybe you keep a Hoybier or a Skip maybe in there just to give that little bit of the Premier League kind of thing. Um, and then Hill, maybe Mark and Day. And then the big choice is whether you go for Kane to continue to sharpen him up or whether you think that that's too much for him, uh, as in tiredness-wise, then you maybe bring in Dane Scarlett. But it's so he's got that really fine line, haven't you? You've, I think if they go away and get a good result in France, it doesn't solve what happened at Crystal Palace, but it does just slightly turn the spirit a bit. Whereas if they go with a weakened team and lose at Rennes, then it's all like, oh, woe is me. We're on this slippery slope to hell kind of thing. And it's like, it's a really, it's really going to be interesting to see what he goes for because thus far, he's ditched the players that have played in the Premier League. He's rested them up pretty much on the whole, um, apart from, you know, obviously the home game against Pesos. But then was that because it was the playoffs? Is it going to be slightly different in the group stages? I mean, what do you think he'll do? I, th- I think he'll mix it up, but for me, I'd be going strong because I think this is the toughest game of the group, probably ran away. And I think this group is more its more like a Europa League group rather than a Europa Conference League group, considering when looking at the team Spurs could have potentially uh, come up against in the Conference League. So I think Galini will start that. I might be tempted to, to play Emerson again, especially if you're going to play him on 
Sunday just to get some maybe some more minutes in his belt, just get used to playing alongside his new teammates. I think you're right in terms of the centre backs. It's got to be Tanganga and uh, Roden. Davis will be left back. The only thing I'd I'd say is Emerson getting experience against alongside Tanganga and Roden (laughs) might not really serve him for Sunday because it may be two different defenders next to him. Yeah, well. I think Nuno's got a call to make it right back because Doherty needs the minutes as well. Yeah. Uh, Winks and Dombele in midfield. I'd probably put Hoybieg in there rather than Skip, especially because Skip came off injured in the yeah, the 21s. So he's, he's played a lot over the summer. I'd probably just rest Skip for this one. Uh, I'd go with Kane. Uh, I think he needs you know, to find the back of the net. We've seen him do it in the Conference League. And then, who else? Brian Hill, start on the left. And maybe even start Lucas again on the right, especially if there's got to be no Bergwijn, no Son. I'd go strong. I think it's vitally important you start the group stage with a win. You don't yeah. want to start start with a defeat. And this is, for me, this is the toughest game in the group. Ren away. I know they've struggled in the league so far, but they'll be bang up for this. They'll be looking to make a real impact in this competition yeah. go far. So I think it is going to be a, a tough game, but hopefully <clears throat> there'll be a, a positive result come the end of it and that'll give everyone a lift going into what will be a very tough game on Sunday against Chelsea. I suppose it will show how much Tottenham actually care about this competition, doesn't it, really? It's like if, they, if he does just go for a really young team or fringe players and young players bearing in mind the players that aren't available as well I think it just probably shows that they're just going to rely on their home games maybe scrape through the group um, and just whoever they get they get in the, in the next round I'm trying to think if three home wins probably three home wins and a draw or a win away probably does it for you doesn't it um, yeah I think 10 to 12 points it'd be enough uh, I, th- I think you can start the young lads like Mark and they Scala when you're playing Ennis Miura. Uh But, I mean, it's competition. You're in it. You go for it. You, you go in the competition. So otherwise, I mean, what were the point in finishing seventh on the last day of last season if you're not going to go for it? the glory of the road to Tirana, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think he should go strong, fairly strong anyway, against Ren, just to get try and get three points up on the board start the uh, group with a win then that's important the Chelsea game anyway now right you've already mentioned it in terms of the the defence who would you start then because looks like Romero and Sanchez should be back for it obviously no Tanganga Dyer potentially going to miss out because of that uh, dead leg Joe Roden you know did all right against Palace so should Joe be starting and then one of Romero or Sanchez come in? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I think Joe Joe Roden would probably feel aggrieved not to start. I think he would. I think, you know, he's come in and he's done a decent job. I mean, he made his Spurs debut against, uh, or his first start against Chelsea, didn't he, for Spurs, um, which was was really good until like a little kind of nervy mistake at the end. I think it was like maybe it was a weak back head or something like that which he was a bit lucky with. But I think this is only my kind of uh, opinion rather than based on any information or anything. Personally, I think if you have your big 
summer signing of a centre-back who was Serie A Defender of the Year. Um, you bought him or brought him in for games like this. That's what you brought him for. And Danson Sanchez has probably been Spurs' most informed player, let alone defender, before they went away. Um, the two of them will have been training away together in Croatia. Um, both speak the same language. Communication-wise, should be fine. Um, for me, it's not ideal, but I do wonder whether Nuno sets out very much a plan of how he wants them to train over these coming days with the Chelsea game in mind. I think they're arriving back on a Saturday. I asked him that the other day. I think he said it the day before the game. So obviously you just have literally put everything that they've been learning and put it into that tactical session on the Saturday alongside whoever the fullbacks are. I think that's probably what you do. I think it is harsh on Roden, but I just think when you've got your most... And, and, and you know, people may be annoyed quite rightly, and, and Nuno may be slightly... He's not letting on, but he may be annoyed that they chose to go in the first place because, let's be honest, it's been proved to be utterly disastrous decision. It really has. It's Romero went out there and got five, six minutes of football. Um, Dyer's got injured. Essentially, Spurs have been stuffed. They have by this decision. Um, and especially when you look at all the Brazilian players... It, they even got to play. It was like, you know, there was all this fuss about the clubs were going to make FIFA ban them and it didn't even happen. So Spurs essentially, as is always the case, got the worst end of the stick for something that really kind of wasn't their fault. Um, so yes, there may be a little bit of a you stuff does, you don't deserve to start. But I just think if you're not going to start your most informed defender and the big money signing that you sign to play in games like this, when are you going to start them? You know, I don't think, I don't think fitness wise should be really an issue. Um, even Romero had the little knee problem. You'd imagine that this break will have actually probably helped that. Um, and yeah, I don't think they've been sitting there on deck chairs, like looking out at the ocean. I think they have properly been training. Um, they, they had to, especially now they have to be training this week with, you know, they've got these full, what is it, five days, six days until the match. They've got to really be putting them through their paces and ready for this game and trying to recreate. I don't know whether they're getting local players just onto the training pitch to to just kind of give them some like, here's what you're going to be in this scenario. Obviously, you're not going to be able to replicate Lukaku and Havertz and people like that, especially with uh, you know maybe people from the Croatian Pub League. I don't know who they're going to get in, but... Um, I think it has to be the two of them. I think it does. Um, and like I said, I would have had Tanganga automatically as the right back. And it's just such a shame now he can't be there. But yeah, I suppose Emerson and, and Regulon. Yeah, I think Roden can probably give Nuno something to really think about if he starts on Thursday, as I expected. Yeah. And that's a really, yeah, really strong showing. Exactly. Uh, for me, Romero, my only concern would be he's played what? couple of minutes in the Premier League against Man City but what he does have going for him he will have played against Lukaku a few times in Serie A uh, yeah, last season so yeah I think that could certainly come into Nuno's thinking uh, and then you know as you said if if he's available and there's space in defence why wouldn't you put the Serie A defender of the year in you're going to have to start him at some point He's going to be a really tough game for him to come in on his what could be his full Premier League debut. 
but that's got to be the case for all of the defence because Chelsea do look very good at the moment with uh, Lukaku, you know, scoring a couple against Villa, uh, scored against Arsenal. I think he's one of these at the moment. If he has a chance on goal, very good there. Chelsea he's going to find the back of the net and Chelsea have some really exciting attacking players at the moment. You know, Havertz, Pulisic, Ziyech, Werner. Chelsea have got a really good squad. I think they'll definitely be there or thereabouts in the title race uh, come the end of the season. And I think probably everyone from West London will be confident that they can go on and win the title for the first time, I think, since 2017. One thing Nuno does has does uh, have going for him is he's got a decent home record against Chelsea. I think they beat him last season when he was Wolves manager. I think he was... Pedro Neto with a, a last-minute winner, and then I think he beat him two seasons prior to that at Molyneux. But you are looking at a different beast in Chelsea at the moment with uh, Tuchel as manager, and they just look look defensively sound, like they're not going to concede. Uh, so it's going to be an extremely tough game. You know, is this the game you probably want after a defeat against Crystal Palace, a London derby at home? I bet everyone behind you, I don't know. You think it should be. <laughs> it doesn't sound great when you say it like that, but I know what you mean in terms of if you can't get yourselves motivated enough for a game like this, when can you? I get it. And just to quickly expand on your point, because it shows what a fantastic point it was about Romero and Lukaku. Um, they came up against each other in both uh, Serie A games last season. Um, technically in the first one Lukaku did only come off the bench for the last like 15 minutes or so but he did not score um, and he started the match at Inter against Atalanta and again he did not score against with Romero in the defence again um, I mean technically the first game was 1-1 and Inter won the second one I think it was Martinez no Skriniar ironically <laughs> <laughs> scored the winner in that one um, but yes, your point stands. Lukaku did not score against Romero last season. Um, so yeah, what a fantastic point. Uh, good point. And hopefully if Romero does start on Sunday, then that will hopefully mean Lukaku has a quiet game. So I think Spurs are going to need uh, yeah. Rom to have a bit of a quiet game. Rom, there you go. Look at your, your buddies with Rom. Yeah. I tell you what though, isn't he... Well, we don't want to use this podcast to praise other clubs, especially ones that spend the ridiculous money that they need to. Um, but hasn't he just? He's just the absolute missing piece of their jigsaw. This is my. This is why I think they'll win the title because I think all they were missing last season was that striker, and they went out and bought not only one of the best strikers in the world, but one who didn't need any adaptation period. Was coming back into a club he knows inside out. And as he's shown, has absolutely hit the ground running. And yeah, I mean, we were, um, oh, you weren't there, were you? But you, you watched it, didn't you? The, the pre, even the pre-season game against Chelsea, that first half, they absolutely passed Spurs off the pitch. Spurs ultimately came away with a 2-2 uh, draw because, you know, Chelsea made a lot of changes in the second half, whereas Spurs less so. Um and it's, uh, you know, I think being at the Spurs Stadium is a little bit different. I think the fans will give ever The fans will get behind, you know. The fans are brilliant against Man City. And if they can do that again against Chelsea, it's the old cliche, but it is going to be a bit of a 12th man thing. But ultimately, it's down to the players. And, and the same with, like you say, about Roden. 
I want Jaffa, uh, sorry, Jaffa, I want Tongi Ondembele to go out there on Thursday night and absolutely show Nuno and say, look, not quite an on-pitch apology, but essentially going out and saying, look, I get it. I get why you'd be upset with me, but this is why you need me. You really, really need me. And if he can do that against Wren, yes, of course, some people go, oh, it was only Wren. But if he can just show well, that little bit of something extra that he can bring to the midfield and you know maybe plays an hour, I would then start him against Chelsea. I would. Um, I know he'll be very tempted to go back to the the four three three that served him well with Hoybier, Skip, and Ali, um, but especially if Son doesn't make it, um, but you've got Bergvine back. I wonder whether you don't go Bergvine, Lucas, and Kane. Maybe you push up Ali, um, you know, and there's, there's some way of using him instead of one of Lucas or Bergvine because Bergvine, at this current moment, I understand he's the one that's most likely to make it out of him, Son, and Dyer. But I think you've got to get Tongi in there. I do. I do. You know, some people will point to the Man City game and say, well, no, you Muppet. They managed to do that perfectly fine without him. Um, maybe it's just my Tongi fan club uh, speaking behind me or hoisting their laminated cards in the air. Um, but Spur, I, I just, I think my biggest fear is that Nuno needs to ensure that Saturday's match at Sellers Park was not important for things to come. It was not going to show that, you know, all those Spurs fans who feared he was Mourinho 2.0 without the trophies, that, you know, that's what was going to be. I want that to be an aberration. I want that to be a him to almost admit, yeah, I got it wrong. Because if that was just the start of more to come, then I think, oh my goodness, it's not going to last very long if that's the case. Personally, I don't think it is. I think it was just a mess of a day. And I think psychologically, almost he went into it kind of, I don't know, maybe a bit like the players, maybe the woe is me thing. Look at everything that's happened to us. Oh my goodness. We've already got obstacles before we've started. And then even the game chucked up red cards and penalties just to make it even worse. Um, They need to be going into that Chelsea game with a completely different attitude. If they just sit there soaking it up, I think the fans are just not going to get behind it at all. Yeah, I think if they have a bit of a creative spark in there, someone like Tongi, then I think that could work well because... Chelsea, they're going to be tough to break down at the weekend. So it's it's going to be a, a very, very tough game. And, you know, hopefully come next week, we'll be talking about three points and a, a good week for Spurs, both in Europe and, and the Premier League. We don't want to be talking about another defeat. And, you know, everyone at, at the moment, you know, Chelsea, uh, Liverpool, United have started well. You just don't want them to you know, start drawing away from the rest in the Premier League table. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll be back, I think, next week, next Monday, yep. reflecting on the Wren and Chelsea games. Uh, in the meantime, just keep with us at football.london as ever for all your latest Tom the news. Ali's going to be on his way to France on Wednesday to cover Hopefully, the Europe. As long as my tests are all good before I go. This is the trouble nowadays, isn't it? I can say I'm going to France and then who knows what the, the test I do before I go says. But hopefully, fingers crossed. 
Yeah. So, uh, as I mentioned last week, if you want to give us uh, a like on our podcast, I think it's Apple where you can do that, or leave us a review. That would be very much appreciated. So, especially good uh, ones. <laughs> yeah, good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't slice us. I don't think that helps us at all. <laughs> right. Uh, we'll leave it there, I think, for uh, episode seven of Golden Guest Top Tottenham. We will be back, as I said, next Monday. So, as always, thank you for tuning in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. <laughs>